0: well as we uh as we start here this morning, I have a little story to tell. <clears> he <throat> said so this should be good. Well, you know, the morning speaker actually uh, it's not an easy life for the morning speaker <laughs> you know the the evening speaker they have sort of a plush life you know my, my wife- my wife isn't even here this week, you know as we go through this yesterday it started out to be a great day, had a great day in chapel and uh and then uh Pat had a great message last night. I actually meditated on Psalm 63.3 this morning, and just a great time. And, uh, but after the service, I, uh, I decided to go down and get a, a drink down at the coffee shop, you know, so I went down there and saw my friend Ron Burkhart down there, and Ron, I said, what are you drinking there, Ron? And he said, is it a twister? Where's Ron at? Was it a twister? Yeah. So uh, I said, I think I'll get one of those. <clears throat> So I, I started to drink that, and, uh, and then uh, the Squinny Ball Championship was taking place. It was a little cool-out, so uh, I went to get a sweatshirt and, and uh, went up to the championship and uh, saw Ron up there. And You know, I, when I can't play, I still like to get involved in sports, you know, and I find myself uh, trying to pick a side and root and cheer for some and cheer against others. LAUGHTER some were saying, boy, that drink really impacts you. You really get involved, don't you? <clears throat> so, I mean, I was just, just having a great time. You can't really yell at the refs in that squinty ball because all they do is count the points and they dig the ball out of the corner so they can't even make mistakes with that. <laughs> so I had to pick on some of the players. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've known the Nyhart family quite a, a number of years, and uh, So in fact, they offered their place for Chad to stay. I can't remember the exact happening, but Chad needed a place to stay, and they opened up. And so anyway, the Nyherts were on one team, and I'm drinking my drink, and uh, and you would think you would think you'd root for your friends, wouldn't (laughs) you? That didn't happen last night. So I was sort of rooting against the Niighhearts, and uh, they 're thankful though they ended up winning the championship. That might have been the key. <clears throat> but there were some grumblings that were taking place uh, after I left, and because uh, Ron and I booed them during one game and <laughs> so they they said, "We might be booing you in chapel tomorrow morning." <laughs> but uh After it was over, I went back and uh, got back and then uh, found out last night that uh, Nyharts wrote a a text to the planning committee for the Millennial Kingdom. And uh, they said, Lord, uh, I think you better keep Chuck out of the sports venue up here. (laughs) So uh, I'm probably going to get cut out of sports up there. But I mean, it's probably a good thing because yesterday afternoon, I, uh, I was just in the pool and playing and uh, just playing a little water basketball. You know, a gentleman's game, water basketball. <laughs> Matt Overton brings his thugs in there. <laughs> I have a scar to prove it. And I have to admit, I wrote a letter as well. So, Matt, you won't be involved in sports either. You're going to be working with me on the grounds. And you're going to be pulling weeds. But that's not even the whole story. Then after that, after we are done with the championship, Chuck, you're using up all your time and you're wasting it here. I'll keep moving. Oh, my word, it's after 10. Um, so I got back to the place and, you know, because I'm the morning speaker, we're David, and Heather and Lisa and Willie were all sitting around talking, so you have to stay up because if, if the morning, you know, the evening speaker, that's, you know, that's the one you pay the big bucks for. I mean, you have to make sure, <laughs> you have to make sure they get to bed on time and stuff like that. And Pat Pat, and Marilyn don't come in early. They just don't. So we had to sit around for a while until they got there. Finally, they got there, they greeted us, and then they quickly retired, and so we sat around and And we started to talk a little bit and started to drift off to sleep. And the last ones up were Lisa, some of her kids, and I were there talking. And boy, I had all sorts of ideas on how we could improve the Engage Network. And I thought to myself, I need to knock on Pat's door. (laughs) (laughs) Lisa went like this, no, no, that's not a good idea. (laughs) And now I forgot my thoughts. (laughs) Do you see how tough it can be on the morning speaker? Do you see how tough it can be? With that, really quick, take your booklets. I want to finish in uh, just, I can't believe it goes that fast. We might go a little bit over again today. We'll see. But uh, <laughs> I just want to finish in the, the blanks. Some people like to fill in. They used to when I taught Matthew class, and I was actually thinking of giving a test on Thursday. No, I won't do that. But let me just, on page 7, let me just quickly fill those in before we go to the parables real quick. On the top of the page, it says, erroneous views concerning the kingdom of heaven. Erroneous. It is the church. I hope you understand from our talk yesterday, the kingdom of God is not the church. Okay? And then another erroneous view, it's merely a spiritual kingdom. Sometimes covenant theologians flow in that direction. It's not that either. And then it just gives you some other notes. What this implies, number two, the kingdom equals the kingdom of the Old Testament. That's the only logical conclusion to come through as we looked at that. The kingdom of God is that millennial kingdom. It's going to happen. Literally, it's going to happen. Then when you come down to number 3, it says the, what the Old Testament taught about the Messianic kingdom, the nearness of the kingdom. We mentioned this yesterday. The meaning of is it at hand <clears throat> actually talks about it being right there. The kingdom <clears throat> was offered to the nation of Israel literally when Jesus came the first time. But you notice it says Matthew 3, 2, Matthew 4, 17 and 107 notice that these references occur at the beginning at the beginning of the book and not at the end that's important to understand the book of Matthew that offer was not being given after Matthew 16 it doesn't appear anymore that becomes important as we as we come to the parables as well so There's some verses about draw near, so you get the sense there. Why was the kingdom not established at the first coming? The Messiah was rejected. The Messiah was rejected, therefore the kingdom as well. Now also keep in mind, as you think through the gospel accounts in John chapter 6, remember, they wanted to take Jesus and force him to be king. Remember that at the feeding of the 5,000? And Jesus rejected that. And You say, well, why did he reject that? If he could offer the king, because Jesus' kingdom was not only going to be physical, it was going to be spiritual. There had to be a, a renewal in the heart to participate. He couldn't allow that to happen. That's just the whole idea as you go through the Gospels. When will it be established? Remember we mentioned Acts 6.1, they said, when will you establish the kingdom? There's another important verse who might glance at it later this morning. Notice the following parables concerning the kingdom. And just write down Luke chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. And I'm not going to go there right now, but at that point it says, and this sort of just makes it concrete, the people expected the kingdom to appear immediately, right at the time of almost when Jesus came the last time. They were still thinking that. It gives you the whole idea. We're talking about a literal kingdom here, and that's the way they, they understood that. Now, with that, we're going to move to the day of the parables. And uh, so now we're on page, what is it, page 8, and are several things that you need to understand about parables. And actually, this will bring the whole gospel together for you because Matthew is organized in such a way That you really get the sense of how this goes. And let me just say, as you go through, if you look at Matthew and how it's organized, you know, you have the beginning, then you have the Sermon on the Mount, and then in chapter 7 and 8, it has mo- a lot of miracles that Jesus did during that time. When you get to, I mean, 8 and 9, I'm sorry, 8 and 9, and then chapter 10 is going to be a commission. We're going to come back to that on Thursday. But chapter 11 and 12 is a turning point in the gospel, and I want to show that to you because that's where the parables actually come in. So if you're in Matthew chapter 11, um, let me just read some verses, and you'll begin to see that now it's beginning to turn because 11 and 12 could simply be entitled the rejection. The rejection both sides. The nation of Israel rejected Christ, and Christ was rejecting them because of the repentance. But look at Matthew chapter 11 with me, and uh, in verse... In verse 20, just begin to see what was taking place here. Let me get there. Matthew chapter 11, <clears throat> in verse 20. And as you look at it, it says, Then it says, He began to denounce the towns where most of the miracles were done because they did not repent. He didn't prior to this. The miracles were taking place and people were watching, people were observing, but they were not repenting. That's what intended. Remember when 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 Jesus caused Peter to to catch all those fish and and Peter's response to the miracle was what? Depart from me, O Lord. I'm a sinful man. That's what was supposed to take place on a national level all the way across the part. We're sinful. That's what the people should have responded. But they didn't respond that way, not for most of them. Because notice, as you look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, most of the miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been done in you that had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Now watch this one, verse 23. And Capernaum, now that's where Jesus lived. That's where a lot of the miracles took place. You, It says, but thou Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be thrown down to Hades. For if the miracles were done in you that had been done in Sodom, It would have remained until this day. Have you ever thought through, you know what the sin of Sodom was and the wickedness of Sodom? Jesus is saying, if I did the miracles in Sodom that I did in you, they'd still be here. Whoa, what an indictment against these Jewish people. So as you look at it, it'd be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment. It tells you one thing, the grace of God has limitations, The other thing you begin to see is the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. You know, there are applications to that even in the Christian world. And the greater the resources, again, the greater the responsibility, what God has given to us. These Jews had everything, and they turned away from that, and they rejected that. So as as you look at it then, now we come into the day or the use of parables, the use of parables. Now remember, remember to the Jewish mind, there's only one coming of the Messiah. There weren't two comings. There was one. That's all John the Baptist believed in. It's here. I'm announcing it. They didn't understand what was going to take place. Yeah, there were verses on how the Messiah would be rejected, but those weren't elaborated on very much. They focused on the kingdom, it's coming, it's going to be a great time. All of that is what they focused on, not on the rejection. So they only saw one coming. So now as you look at it, as you consider, and you can read some of the notes here on your own, but there's several things I want to point out to you because of the rejection and it's really important these aren't necessarily in the notes but I want you to see them so that you'll realize remember when they rejected Jesus because they said the miracles that he did were by Beelzebub and uh, and certainly that was the unpardonable sin but notice verse 20 verse 28 in chapter 12 Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Again, this literal kingdom, but they're rejecting that. They are rejecting the miracles. They're rejecting all of that. Now, notice something that takes place, and here's where it turns. Verse 1 of chapter 13, and you have to note this. On that day, what day? On the same day that the Pharisees accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebub and they wouldn't recognize, they rejected, Jesus said, on that day, Jesus went out to the house and was sitting by the sea. Now, I'm not going to bring this out, but... Just want to, he's sitting when he teaches. Do you see that here? You're going to see that in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just saying, sitting, teaching. I'm just, at Sailorville, we say more people, more like Jesus. That's what we say. Just like, we'll go on. That's just a side point. <laughs> <clears throat> so he's sitting there, and then he says, consider, verse three. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, consider the sower who went out to sow. Now he's going to get into the very first parable. Now, the parable as you go, is, and I'm going to cover this quickly. If you drop down, it says a, parab- a parable is a comparison. It's an extended simile. The word parable comes from two Greek words, the preposition para, which means alongside of, and the verb balo, B-A-L-L-O, which means to throw. Thus, it is a story thrown alongside for the sake of the illustration. It's a fictional story. Now now watch because you can see the change take place as as you look at the chapter because um, when you look at Matthew chapter 13 and verse 10, notice how the disciples respond after Jesus tells this story. Notice verse 10. Then the disciples came up and asked him, why? Are you speaking to them in parables? He had not done it before. When did he start? He started on the day where the rejection became acknowledged and formal. He began to speak in parables. Now, he tells you why he does it. And this is remarkable as you think of the very character of God. He answered them, Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Think with me as you go through this. Because the Jewish mind said there's one coming, that's all it is. And sometimes you've seen diagrams where the the coming of Christ is like a peak right here. And then the second coming is up here in a peak. And then there's a valley in between that you can't see. And all you can see is really Christ when you look up that way. And, And that was true. All they could see, they never saw the valley. So what Jesus is saying, we're still talking about the kingdom here. But there's a mystery about this kingdom that the Jewish mind had never captured, and that was this rejection time. That was not clearly portrayed. And so Jesus is trying to say to them, because the secrets of the kingdom have not been given to you to know. It have been given to you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has more... Um, I'm sorry for whoever has more will be given him, and he will have more than enough, but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away that's why I speak in parables because looking <clears throat> they do not see, and hearing. They do not listen and, or understand. And then he gets the prophecy of Isaiah. And we could spend time in that, but I'm not going to go there. But the idea is, now I'm going to teach in a way where it actually is going to blind some and open others to be able to see. The teaching is not going to be straight out and opened anymore. It's going to change. And uh, as, as you look at it, for instance, on the top of page 9, why the parables? What's the purpose? Number one, to reveal truth to the receptive heart. To reveal truth to the receptive heart. This is what Jesus is saying. But on the other side, it's to conceal truth from the rejecting heart. So it's, in boy, Dr. Walton, who taught this course before I did, made a beautiful observation that I won't forget. He called it, judicial mercy. And the reason he said that is because when you look at what was just stated in Matthew chapter 11 and 12, Capernaum, you have been given the privilege of seeing all of these miracles right before your eye, and because of that, your judgment is going to be greater. And Jesus, understanding these people, the majority of them, are not going to repent. So I'm not going to give them more light. I'm going to take it back so that the punishment wouldn't be greater. That's why he said it was an act of judicial mercy. And and it makes sense as you go through the whole book of Isaiah chapter 6. And so now he begins to speak in parables to them. And um, in fact, as you look at it, you can start to see this play out even in chapter 13, if you look at verse 36 when he tells of the the wheat and the tares, notice what it says, when he left the crowds, and we'll get back to a few of the parables, when he left the crowds and went into the house, his disciples approached him and said, "Could, could you explain this parable of the wheat and the tares in the field? So if the disciples didn't get it when he taught that parable, neither did the crowds, and they personally had to come to Jesus, and Jesus would explain the parables to them. He was revealing and concealing because the people never repented. They never repented. And that's the reason why the parables come into play. And if you look at Matthew chapter 13, the whole chapter is given to parables. That's why he's organized this best. He's organized it with the rejection. That same day, he begins to speak in parables. He lists a whole number of parables. So these fictional stories that are given, well, what are they all about? So let's drop down in page 19, the interpretation of the parables. It says, determine the one central truth of the parable. This is just reasoning as you go through. Because the parables, what the parables are given mainly is to talk about what is the kingdom going to be like during this pause period where the literal kingdom is not there. It's not there. Jesus is not reigning as king. But what I want to argue is, in a sense, we still are living in the kingdom age. We still are. But it's sort of in a pause period. And Jesus is giving us parables, he's teaching his disciples, I want you to know what life is going to be like until we finally get to the place where I will be exalted. So these parables are explaining the interval time in which we're living right now. That's why the parables are so meaningful to us. They should really grab our attention as far as what Jesus is trying to say here. So, again, determine the one central truth of the parable. Do not make a parable walk on all fours. Don't take a parable and take all the little details and say, well, I think the birds mean this, I think the branch means this. That's not the whole idea. There's a main thought in the fictional story. Main thought. So, it talks about that. Determine, here's the other point, determine how much is interpreted by Christ himself. I like it when Jesus interprets parables because then we don't have to take a stab at it. And you're going to find he didn't interpret all the ones in 13. (laughs) So I'm just going to stick with the ones that Jesus interpreted. (laughs) A lot safer, isn't it? Um, And then it says, Determine if the context gives any clues to the interpretation. Compare the parable with any possible Old Testament associations. Do not base a doctrine on a parable. So in chapter 13, it's uh, the second of the three major discourses of, 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 of the book of Matthew. We'll get to the other ones later. But if you go back to the next page, which I guess is page 10, it sort of starts to give you pictures. Notice in that one paragraph, this first, the second discourse, these parables... Covers the period of the time between the initial offer of the kingdom and the final acceptance of the kingdom. It covers the period of rejection. The period begins with the sower, the Lord. In the first parable, sowing the seed while he was still here on earth and his first advent, but the message was rejected. The period closes with the parable of the dragnet where the unbelievers will be separated for judgment and the good taken into the kingdom. So now notice the pictures. Hence, the time period started while Christ was still here on earth when when he preached the message of the kingdom, his first advent, and ends with the end of the age at his return or the second advent. Now, there's several diagrams here. Notice, Christ is rejected at the first advent, and then there's the reception of Christ at the second advent. That's the time covered by the parables. The church comprises the great bulk of this time period. The other diagram... The rejection of Christ at the first advent, same thing, but now notice the church age, which actually begins after the rejection, and the reception of Christ, actually they say the church ends before it. So it's not identical. It's not identical, but a bulk of the time is really given to this time of rejection. So let me just make several observations about these parables that would be very practical to us. So going back to Matthew chapter 13, go to the very first one, but we'll look um, as as the the interpretation of the sower and the seed, and we'll just make several observations as we go through these first two. So it says, verse 18 of chapter 13. So listen to the parable of the sower. This is Jesus' interpretation. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Jesus is telling us about the seed that fell on the hard ground, but he's talking about the work of the evil one. And also understand as you go through, there's never the fault that lies with the sower, and there's never a fault with what is being sown. Everything is determined by heart reception, so you don't lay blame <coughs> excuse me, on, on the person that sows. You know, so many times we start to think, boy, you have a great presentation of the gospel. If I had a presentation, people would be saying, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, The sowing of the seed is there, and that's the first one. that People won't listen. Have you run into people who won't listen? That is the first. And something else I'll say, if as you go through these parables... And if you interpret Matthew, you can start to walk through all the events that take place after Matthew chapter 13, and you can actually put them into these four groups, each one of them, whether it's the Pharisees, whether it's the disciples, whether it's the feeding of the 5,000, they actually fit into all of these. So it's so important that you understand it because it helps you understand the whole book of Matthew as, as Jesus is teaching the second one, this one is sown along the path and it's sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and it's short-lived. Now, when, pers- when distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. I, you don't know when you're working with someone if it's going to be genuine. I mean, I rejoice when a person prays And I hope that it's genuine. That's one thing I like about different people. You listen to different churches, and they simply say, just wait. You'll find out. I mean, I worked with one guy. I was telling Pat and a few others. I worked with this one guy just a couple of months ago, and he made a profession of faith. But he ended up being someone so off-center that I realized it wasn't a take. And it's not the fault on the presentation. It's not that. But it falls on shallow ground. Family brings persecution or makes fun, and they drift right back. I, I've i seen it in South America. I've seen it all over. There's shallow ground. You don't know where people are going to come out. And that's not our, our our whole idea here. It's to sow the word. But as you think through this, and we're going to get into this a little bit more on Thursday, because now in, in this time of rejection. There's a longer period. There's a growing period. There's the sowing, and then there's the harvest, and all of that. It takes time. So he's saying this time is going to last. But can I say this as you think about it? What should the church be doing today? And if you look at this parable, what would you say? Sowing. Sowing. I joke with Ron Burkhart and Ron, there is time to repent about that drink. I mean, but anyway, when I talk to Ron, well, I love talking about Ron. (laughs) I'm just kidding. And Helen, every time I talk to them, I, I said, Ron, how's it going with this COVID time? He said, it's been a weird time. You know, a lot of strange things have happened. And then... What he automatically goes into. But you know, I'm, I stayed right there. I was sharing the word with him all the way through this whole week. That I had to stay and work with him. And then this person over there. Then I was trying to tell them about the word. And I talked to Helen. Helen says, "Well, I'm working with this person, trying to get them. What are they doing? Sowing the word. That's what we should be doing. That's exactly what we should be doing, all of us. <coughs> and and God will bless." you'll give the increase you leave that with the Lord. Paul comes back to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where one sows and, and another waters but it's God that gives the increase. And uh anyway, we should be sowing the word and then they are going to have weeds that that choke the word. We're not sure if they're genuine believers. That's a hard one, but obviously what you want is the last one that brings forth, you know, 40, 50, 100-fold. And uh, that's what you're looking for—is the fruit, the bearing of the fruit. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is a time of sowing and harvesting. And um, I pray. I, when Pat was preaching on Sunday night, I got a text from a a friend, Mike Redou. He's a teacher in Ankeny. He works at Northwest. He's an English teacher. And I've been getting together with him. He's a believer. He became a believer before he ever came to our church, but he had to work his way through some things. And then he's been sharing with his mom and he said how do I share with my mom and dad he's catholic and and uh, but they don't go to church all that much and and so we talked and prayed and he started to do this four part bible study I have that he said I watched it on and I took it home to Illinois and I did it with my mom I think I think they're open he said and then he had some resistance from his dad and we talked through that whole thing but then he texts me on 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 uh, Sunday night and he said we just finished lesson 4 and he said, at the end, both my mom and dad prayed a sweet prayer to receive the Lord. And I rejoiced. I rejoiced. We don't know what God is going to do in the work, but we need to be involved in this. And, and maybe one other thing, because I know my time gets away, but... On the wheat and the tares, I just wanted to point, because you understand, in the wheat and the tares, Jesus also interpreted that one. Just two seconds, we'll just look at this, because I think there's several things that are important as as you look at it. Um, now notice this, as you go through verse 37, because this, I think, brings things together. So he's going to, because the disciples didn't understand that, what about the, the wheat and the tares and... Verse 37, he replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's where you get, it starts when Jesus starts sowing and those that follow him. The field is the world. And the good seed, they are the children or the sons of what? Ah. So are we right saying that we're sort of living in the kingdom age? Yeah, we are. Not with all the way some people, but it's sort of a secret form of the kingdom. But we actually are children of the kingdom. We are sons of the kingdom. And, uh, but the weeds, they're the, the children of the evil one. So who else is going out and sowing? The evil one is. And most of you know this already, but the darnell or the, the tares, you cannot tell the difference for the longest of time with the plants. Can't tell. And not until it comes to the end. Then one bears fruit and the other doesn't. So let's just say it can be confusing at times. And they say, should we pull up the weeds? And No, 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 no. Don't do that because you'd pull up some of the good. You can't. You just have to let them both grow. So don't be shocked when people you thought were there actually are working against you. I've had that happen numbers of times. The evil one is very active as well. Very active as well. So it's a time of sowing. As you get into the mustard seed and and, uh, and the leaven, there's discussion on does this represent spiritual growth or is this wicked growth? And you have people coming down on both sides and Jesus didn't interpret them that way. So I, I think it could represent both because you can see, and you can see even in the Gospels it could be both. I mean, the evilness grew as well, <clears throat> as well. but don't, those aren't interpreted. But there is growth taking place until the dragnet, then God separates them. But that's what he says it's going to be like. Um, let me just finish by going to Luke chapter um, 19. Just go there and we'll finish with this one. Because this, will, again, gives you a, a good balance <clears throat> of what Jesus was trying to do. So as Jesus visits Zacchaeus right after he's done, and the people are listening to him, as they were listening, verse 11, to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Here's another parable, not a Matthew parable, but another parable, because he was near Jerusalem. Now watch this. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear Right away. So what were the people thinking? This is still it. They didn't quite get the whole idea that the rejection had taken place and now we're in the valley. They were still hopeful that the kingdom would come run. But then Jesus, notice what he does. Therefore he said, a noble, a nobleman travels into a far country. Why do you think he said far country? This time's going to last for a while. It's not coming right away. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not coming right away anymore. It's been rejected. It's almost like the the children of Israel, remember, they were supposed to get into the promised land and they didn't go. And then they found, oh, we blew it. Now we're going to run back and do it. And what did God say? No, 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 no. Don't go. It's almost like the same thing right here. It's not going to happen right away. But they're thinking that, so that you understand that. And then he talks about the subjects and uh and and the resistance that they 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 had and uh, and then finally he comes back and, and rewards, but it gives you the idea of what's going on here. So all of that to bring to a conclusion today. I don't. Are you guys supposed to spend time together talking after this? Is that supposed to happen? Is that what's on the calendar? I just never got that. But if it is, that's the way they used to do it. Um, if you do, what I'd like to recommend. Would you brainstorm on how you might sow the seed? Churches need to be sowing the seed. It's a disappointment to me when churches aren't actively doing that because this is the time we're living in right now. And we need to be creative there's different ways to do this. It can be done electronically. It can be done in a lot of different ways. But there's people that need to hear. And God's trying to get the news to them. And he wants, and he wants to give us the privilege to do that. Is there going to be resistance? Oh yeah. yeah, there's going to be resistance. Get a little thick skin. I used to tell the students, get some thick skin. Because... You need to go out there even though, and you do it in a wise way. You don't clobber people over the head with it, but you try to think through. I'm trying to reach my neighbors, two young guys. I'm trying to talk with them porch to porch is the only thing we've had so far, but I'm asking where they're from, where they're working, laughing with them. I want to get over there. I'm just trying to build something there with them and trying to take walks in my neighborhood. And sometimes I stop and visit people and sometimes they're open to talk. Sometimes I don't even bring it up. I'm just praying at the park. I'm going when we have service on Saturday night I'm just walking around the park looking for people greeting people but looking for other people trying to set up hey could we get together however you can do it maybe you go to a gym maybe you, with this covid thing people are concerned this is a great opportunity for us I know it's a strange time but people are concerned they are thinking the bible talks about end times is are we started We could be, folks. We could be close to the kingdom. So let's stay true to this period that lasts until Jesus comes back. We're still supposed to be sowing the seed. So let's follow his directions and let's have joy in doing what the Lord wants us to do. You're sowing seed with your kids. Don't want to stop that, but let's expand it even beyond that. Let me just close this in a word of prayer and I'll let you go. Father, thank you so much for the instruction about the parables and what they teach us. And Father, I thank you for every person here. Because every person here actually has connects that another person does not have. In this room, there's a lot of connections that are represented. Father, we're a weak people. But we need to be filled with the Spirit of God and have the boldness that isn't ours, but it is yours. And as you guide and direct, you open our mouths and do your work. We long for your coming. We want it to be soon. But until then, I pray you might use us for your honor and glory.